Greetings. Welcome to The Point Being, Hypsos' public polling podcast. I am your host, Chris Jackson, joined by my co-host, Sarah Mackey. Hello. And our EP, Jin Yi. Hello. This is episode 92. It is January 15th. 2020, the future, and we have a mountain of public polling data to get through today, so let's just dive right in and start off with the Reuters Ipsos core political release for today. It is our uh, metronome of American society, and the metronome is showing that the vital statistics are weak but steady. Uh, the main, uh, the, the direction of the country, the, the sort of sentiment is the country going in the right direction or off on the wrong track, is virtually in the same place we've seen it for the past couple of years, with about a third of Americans saying that we're in the right direction, about two-thirds saying we're off on the wrong track. Uh, that number has remained almost a flat line, which is probably a bad sort of visual image when we're talking about vital statistics, uh, since Trump's inauguration a few years ago. Um, and that is despite the concerns of Americans waxing and waning over the last couple of years. Um, for instance, uh, health care is still the number one issue for Americans, but uh, concern about foreign conflicts and terrorism is still high this week after the uh, potential conflicts, the real conflicts and potential conflicts, escalated conflicts with uh, Iran last week. Uh, Sarah, we do have some polling data to shed a little bit more light on that, correct? Correct. So last week with USA Today, we did a poll, and it was earlier in the week. And so this is before the missile um, downing the plane and before uh, Trump really came out and said anything. And before the rocket attack on the U.S. bases yes, yes, yes. In, uh, in Iraq as well. That as well. So um, before then, we saw that uh, around 42% supported the, the killing. Um, and the killing of Soleimani. And we don't really see that much of a change from the beginning of week to the end of the week. With um, So 42% we saw in the USA Today poll, and then we did a poll with ABC News later in the week, and it was 43% approved. Right. So a one percentage point. Yeah, the same. That's a yeah. flat line. Yeah. Completely so that's, the same. That's Monday, Tuesday, and then the rocket attack on the base happened, the Iran accidentally shooting down their airliner mm -hmm. happened, Trump sort of coming out and giving his speech about how they did what they wanted to, to do successfully, and the sort of de-escalation. But even after the de-escalation, Americans still are a little bit mixed feelings on if it was the right call. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's um, we still see around half saying that they feel the U.S. is less safe after um, the killing of Soleimani. And 73% um, at the end of the week were concerned about war compared to the 62% um, in the USA Today poll that said that the strike made war more likely. So um, not seeing that much of a difference in any of these indicators. It looks like those three events that happened from the beginning of the week to the end of the week in between our two mm -hmm. different polls didn't have much of an impact on public opinion. That's right. And the, the 52, 54% of Americans who thought it was less safe, the actions made us less safe, uh, is not offset by a similar number saying more safe. It was mm -hmm. only like 20 something percent exactly. thought it made us more safe. So it was like a two to one breakdown. And I think that suggests that this whole episode with Iran is not 
necessarily a victory or a victory lap for the president. Um, it is not something where Americans see Trump as having called Iran's bluff, perhaps, uh, as some commentators have said. Um, but instead, they're still very concerned with the ramifications of the action and, and do not think it um, it uh, necessarily a very prudent move. One other data point we had from the USA Today survey earlier in the week is that large majorities of Americans support the idea of congressional limits on the president's ability to wage war, mm-hmm. um, which we're seeing past the House of Representatives already and potentially moving forward in the Senate with a couple of Republicans talking about joining the Democrats to, to pass that, that resolution. Um, And speaking of the president, uh, his uh, approval, job approval in regards to this actions in Iran uh, is down a little bit, um, certainly where versus where it was before all this happened, I think, which, again, uh, illustrates that Americans don't like how it's been handled. But that hasn't necessarily impacted his overall approval rating, which remains pretty flat. Uh, this week, it's at 39% among all Americans, essentially the same place as the 41% we saw last week, and the same as the sort of roughly 40% we've seen him at um, for you know about two years now, honestly. Uh, so turning from the president to his Democratic challengers, mm-hmm. we have a lot going on here. It's less than three weeks away from the Iowa caucuses, the first of the primary schedule. Uh, and in our national Reuters Ipsos polling, we have the field tightening a little bit with uh, Joe Biden, the front runner, only slightly leading Bernie Sanders. Uh, sort of the next closest challenger, and then Elizabeth Warren uh, in sort of somewhat distant third place, um, Pete Buttigieg and the rest of the field behind that. Um, But we've done some really fascinating work with the Washington Post in the last week looking just at the perspectives of African-Americans using our probability-based knowledge panel. Uh, Sarah, what what does that uh, piece of research shed light on? Yeah, so among um, the African-American adults, uh, we see Joe Biden with almost half of the votes um, and half saying that he has the best shot of beating Trump, Mm -hmm. which is really important because more than half say that picking a candidate who can beat Trump is the main reason that they're voting. Right. Um, And then Sanders follows after him with about two in ten saying... um, they would support him, and Warren comes in with one in ten supporting her. Um, and again, we're seeing this group as um, pretty influential, with three and four saying that they are absolutely certain that they will be voting. Mm-hmm. The African American community looks like they are pretty fired up to vote, and they look in pretty large numbers to be opposed to President Trump and really motivated by. A candidate who can beat Trump and not necessarily, you know, a candidate who's African-American or a candidate who is a ideological or policy match. Um, it's really sort of a very pragmatic electoral based. Mm-hmm. I think that their voting um, in large part will just be in an effort to get Trump out of office. That's right. And that does mirror to an extent the priorities of all Democrats, which is but on a two to one ratio, getting Trump out of the office versus 
matching up with somebody on a policy issue. Uh, that's their overwhelming, uh, overwhelming priority. We also have some new research coming out today with Vice News, um, where we dug in to look at African-American and Hispanic-Americans um, in advance of the Brown and Black Forum, which will be held next week. Uh, I think particularly the Hispanic numbers are a little bit relevant to this discussion to provide a little bit of a counterpoint to the post story on African-Americans. What, what do we see there? Yeah, so... Um White Americans and Hispanic Americans are most likely to say that healthcare is their main prop is the main problem in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we see in our Reuters yeah, polling. matches our top line mm-hmm. core political. Exactly. Um, African Americans, on the other hand, are most likely to say that racism is um, a main problem mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, they're more likely than both whites and Hispanics to say in saying that. Um, and then going on to concerns. Um, being able to afford health care is um, the top for um, everyone, mm-hmm. but um, African Americans and Hispanic Americans are more likely to be concerned about affordability of housing, affordability of higher education, mm-hmm. and then along with that, job security of those in their household. Right. So we're seeing um, some kind of divide between um, the white Americans and then the African Americans and Hispanic Americans being um, a little bit more concerned about um, or more likely to be concerned about affordability of those certain... Right. So African Americans and Hispanic Americans seem to be expressing a little bit more economic insecurity Mm -hmm. across a number of domains, whereas white Americans are a little bit more narrowly focused on healthcare as a source of their insecurity, which I think speaks to, even though the economy is doing well, we've been growing for a number of years now, how there's still a certain precariousness for a lot of Americans uh, that they don't necessarily feel like they're on super stable grounds Mm -hmm. uh, or that their opportunities are extremely strong, certainly compared to how when they look around and see many other people doing well. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also dug a little bit into reparations mm-hmm. in this um, survey, and it can be a decently divisive topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that 6 in 10 African Americans support reparations, and that's compared to just 2 in 10 white Americans. Yeah. So obviously there's a very strong divide there that you see in those numbers. Right. And so overall, it's still a minority of Americans who support the idea of reparations. Um, though, honestly, it's it's still an increase over where the topic was a number of years ago when Definitely. it would have been you know, single digits overall. Uh, African-American community supports reparations. Uh, generally, they're not overwhelmingly, actually. You know, only 60% or so is, is an overwhelming support. Exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating topic. That full data set is going to be available this afternoon. Yes, and um, along with that, we also, of course, had to talk about the 2020 presidential election. Right, of course. It, it has to be in every single poll. That's right. <laughs> and so... Um, For that, we see Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden having um, majority support from African-Americans. So um, 56% say that they would consider voting for Bernie Sanders and 54% say that they would vote for, uh, consider voting for Joe Biden, which is statistically a tie. Among African-Americans. Yes, and this is all among African-Americans. And then... 
a little bit differently. Hispanic Americans are more likely consider voting for Bernie Sanders than Joe Biden, and there is a 10 percentage point gap in that support. So um, that's a little that's different than um, the African American support that we're seeing. Yeah. So this is this is different than just a ballot question. We're asking people who they're going to vote for. We're asking mm-hmm. who they consider voting for. Sure. So it's they're allowed to give multiple answers. Um, and it's interesting that half of the African-American community is considering both Biden and Sanders. Mm-hmm. So Sanders isn't disqualified by African-Americans, for instance. Not in the least. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to vote for him. We saw, for instance, in our Washington Post poll that more African-Americans prefer Biden, 50% almost, uh, to 20% who prefer Sanders. Um but what was actually particularly fascinating is among Hispanics, Sanders' strength, relative strength. And I think that is a community that hasn't been heavily researched. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Sanders is able to do well with that, with Hispanic Americans, that means he may be able to do well in Nevada, which has a high Hispanic population and is one of the four early primaries. Um, so that, that, I think, is an interesting finding that we'll have to see if it... Uh, if it translates into the voting booth in these next couple of months with the early primary states. It will definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Another uh, thing that we found in this one was that, so there's been a lot of speculation that Pete Buttigieg doesn't have support from the African-American community. And we found in our poll that there is no statistically significant difference between um, support with African-American support, white American support, or Hispanic American support for Pete Buttigieg. It's around 2 in 10, no matter what. So um, doesn't necessarily support uh, the theory that African-American Are particularly voters. opposed to exactly. Mayor Pete. He's still, I think, struggling from just a lack of connection, lack of name recognition, um, which is honestly a bit of a problem for him nationwide because he's still very much new on the scene compared to Joe Biden, who was vice president for eight years, senator forever, um, and Bernie Sanders, who ran a pretty famous campaign in 16 and has also been a senator forever. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have the catchy slogan of feel the burn. Feel the burn. Yes, that's right. Um, We also monitored the Democratic debate last night. Uh, We we followed it live with our Twitter tracker uh, along with uh, Kate Morse from our team and saw that at least among people on Twitter during the debate, Pete Buttigieg seemed to have a good night. But we also did our knowledge panel-based survey with 538 before and after the debate, and that survey suggests that Elizabeth Warren actually had the strongest night, that she's the one who more people says won Mm -hmm. and saw the greatest increase in the number of people who consider voting for her. Yes, yeah, so... Warren would be the winner in attracting potential voters, um, but we also saw pretty good um, jumps in favorability for lesser-known candidates. Um, so Klobuchar and Steyer both saw the largest jumps in favorability from mm-hmm. pre-debate to post-debate of around five points. So doing pretty good. And, and we've seen that in the past where the lesser-known de- candidates in the debates are able to get a little bit of a boost as they're exposed to people. It hasn't necessarily translated into mm-hmm. gains in the national polling, um, but it's always fascinating to see, especially because this debate was held in Iowa, 
One of the moderators was the chief political reporter for the Des Moines Register, the main newspaper in Iowa. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if this uh, this debate alters the trajectory in Iowa, because right now, looking at polling, it looks sort of kind of like it may be a four-way tie between Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Warren. Um, and if Warren had a particularly good night, if that maybe helps her gain some ground, pick up some momentum, heading into the February 4th caucuses, I think it's the 4th. Sure. Um, I'll take that as fact. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so it'll be fascinating to see how that turns out. Very exciting, yeah. And I think that we'll be just as busy as the candidates are as we get closer to Iowa and then move on to the other caucuses. That's right. We will continue trying to keep track of American public sentiment. You can find all of our research on our website at ipsos.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JCB Jackson. And you can always email us with any questions at thepointbeing at ipsos.com. Thank you very much. See you next week. Have a great week.